This podcast is a presentation of Faith Assembly of God, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Get more information online at faithishere.org and join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. Bible's out. Turn to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5 today. How many glad you came this morning? Listen, I hope you're ready for the Word of God today. I am excited. I'm pumped. I'm jazzed. I don't know what you want to say. I'm ready. We have been talking about marriage and families and how to make it work and uh, all the ins and outs of that. I want to be very practical once again this morning. We're moving now from Genesis into the New Testament. I spent the last couple of weeks dealing with God's plan for marriage, God's purpose for marriage why he created the institution of marriage, a little bit of the phases we go through in God's plan of marriage in the last couple of weeks. We're going to move to Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33. If you haven't signed up for the seminar yet, True Intimacy, Tim Buttry, it is going to be powerful. Two weeks from Friday, last Friday. So uh, less than two weeks now. Sign up in the four-year of the church. Uh, an incredible, incredible teacher. It's uh, your, you got a little outline of what it's going to be on in your bulletins. Look at that, sign up, get ready. Uh, our groups are talking about marriage built to last. And so we're this whole two months are, are reemphasizing the family and marriage and where we're going. And tonight, of course, we're looking again at the blessed life. And that has been very enriching in all of our lives. Ephesians 5 and 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And all the men said, well, a little weak. <laughs> Some of you guys are so afraid already, you know. <laughs> Amen. Looking around. Okay, we'll, we'll deal with that. For the husband is the head of the wife, is also Christ, the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now it's your chance, ladies. That's what I thought. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. He might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Who loves his wife, loves himself. For no one ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. And for this reason, man shall leave father and mother and be joined his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Once again, going back to God's original design for marriage in the book of Genesis. One flesh, body, soul, and spirit. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, back to the marriage. Let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father, help us. We need you today. We need your help. We need your anointing. We need your ministry. God, today among us, help me to communicate your word, these truths. I pray for marriages today, that they will be strengthened through your glory, through your presence. We ask in your mighty name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This morning we're talking about why are women so weird and men so strange. 
tell you a little story about the men arriving in heaven. They all got to heaven and, and uh, the rapture occurred and all the men got up there. The ladies were there as well, but when the men got to heaven, they realized they were in a separate location. And all the men were in this great big holding room and they were told by the angels, get in one of two lines. There's two doors there. Line up behind those doors. Uh, one door, there was a sign over it that said henpecked. And the other door, there was a sign over it that said head. And so all the men proceeded to line up in the henpeck line. And there was a long line in that henpeck line. And one little five foot, four inch, 120 pound man lined it up in the headline. He was the only guy in that line. And a reporter in heaven came up to him. Of course, reporters are everywhere. And, and, and a reporter in heaven came up to interview him and says, you know, I noticed you're the only guy in this line. What are you doing in the headline? And he said, well, my wife told me to come and stand over here. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> Uh, even though Adam and Eve had a marriage made in heaven, literally, they still had to work at it. It still was a work in progress, a work on the earth. The, the incredible thing is when God made Adam and Eve, he made them entirely different. They are so different in so many different ways. And although we're designed by God to allow our differences to complement each other, we often try to change the other person. So ladies very early embark on their task of changing their man and molding him into his image. And women and men try to do the same with their wives. And they take their wives and try to mold them into his image. And so we're always, it's, it's like buying an old house. You buy an old house and the first thing you gotta do is fix it up. And so you think your mission in marriage is to fix up your spouse. Sometimes you try to Turn your spouse into the image of your father or your mother. You like mama, you liked her cooking, you, you want to make your wife just like your mama was. Or, or ladies, you liked your daddy and you were fond of him and you want to make this man into the image of your father. Probably even a little more perverse is to try to make them in the image of ourself. We want to make them to be like ourself, an extension of ourself. And so when we get married, we want them to feel and think like we do. We want them to be just like us. The, the, the problem is when you try to form them into your own image, it becomes very selfish and very destructive. Listen to the word of God in Matthew 19, 4. He made male and female, created he them. There's an obvious difference. Male and female, he created them unique in, in the image he designed for them. And they're entirely different. They were deliberately created different. So you could love them with an unselfish love, just like Christ loves the church. I, I, I got a little video clip, I think, that just kind of points out maybe some of these differences. Go ahead. I'll never forget the first time I laid eyes on Shelly. She walked into the coffee shop, and I instantly fell in love with her deep auburn hair, almond-shaped eyes, and cute little smile. I loved everything about her, even the way she ordered her coffee. A tall, non-fat vanilla latte with two packets of sugar. <laughs> we fell in love right away. 
And we were married within six months, and things were great. But after a while, it seemed like something was missing. I thought it was just Charles, that we were incompatible. But then I realized it wasn't him. The problem was me. I was becoming, well, too feminine. I was in denial. I thought maybe if I ignored the problem, it would just go away. But it didn't. It only got worse. Until one day I was talking to a friend, and she told me that my little problem was actually quite common. And it even has a name. It's called hyperfeminine disorder, or HFD. I asked her if there was anything I could do about HFD, and she told me about masculina. It's a new, non-habit-forming drug designed to enhance the latent masculine tendencies in women. Masculina transformed our marriage. No longer did I have to worry about putting dirty clothes away or being insensitive. I could finally sit on the couch for hours without having a single coherent thought. And honeydews? Well, they're a thing of the past. Taking masculina is easy. Anytime I'm feeling overly compassionate or sensitive to strong smells or, well, just being too girly, all I have to do is take two masculina and then I can enjoy hours of being able to compartmentalize my emotions, turn just about anything into a competition, and I can find my significance in long-distance driving. Masculina isn't for everyone. If you're pregnant, nursing, or have a strong aversion to all-you-can-eat buffets, masculina may not be right for you. Masculina is intended only for females. Men taking masculina in order to increase masculinity may reach dangerous levels of machismo and chauvinism. Side effects of masculina may include poor hygiene and a strong desire to look under the hood of your car. Women requiring the ability to focus on more than one task at a time should not take masculina, which could result in a complete shutdown of mental faculties. HFD doesn't have to control your life. Ask your doctor about masculina today, and just like I did, you can stop being such a big sissy. Masculina. When a man needs a woman to be a man. <laughs> All right, we'll be dispensing that in the foyer right after the service. You line up. <laughs> how, many, how, many, how many here today think women are just plain weird? Let me see your hand. Now, I... I will tell you, if the woman, women weren't in the room, there would be a lot more hands going up. <laughs> Some of you guys are afraid to vote. There's obvious differences between male and female. God made us that way. There's a reason for that. Let me just give you state some of the obvious physical differences. A male body is designed for weight-bearing. We're the ones to carry the low. We were designed for weight-bearing Stronger skeletal frame, capable of supporting larger muscles. Females were designed for childbearing. God creative and unique. Frames were designed for pregnancy and childbirth. Now listen to this. While men generally are larger and physically stronger, adult females are sturdier. There's some news for you. They live an average of seven years longer than the average man. So they last longer. They, they, they go longer and they live longer. There are 104 adult males born 
for every 100 baby girls. So there are more boys being born, but by the time they reach their early 20s, uh, there's no longer uh, one man for every woman. In fact, there's more women by the time they're in their early 20s, even though more boys are being born. I think God kind of weighted the scales at birth in his design so that, and the reason for this is there are more accidental deaths for boys and male children and more terminal illnesses claim males than females. And because women outlive men, listen to this, you senior adults, because women outlive men in the later years of life, there are four widows for every one widower. Interesting. I thought some of the men would be clapping or the widowers would be going nuts about now, but they're not, they're not responding. Okay. The male hormones in the male stimulate aggression. So little boys tend to be more aggressive than little girls by nature. And if you've had both, you know that to be true. And it becomes very obvious by the time the boys reach three to four years of age. Now, not only do you have those biological, physical differences, but culture immediately comes along and begins to make us further different or shape our differences and, and defines and shapes who we are. We conform to our gender expectations of our parents. And so girls are treated differently than little boys. It's obvious in the colors. It's obvious in the way they're raised and all those kinds of things. Let me illustrate it for you. Two infants were in adjoining beds in the church nursery. And they were getting acquainted with each other. And one infant asked the other, are you a little boy or are you a little girl? The other one said, well, I don't know. But give me a minute and I'll peek. So he lifted up his blanket and he peeked, put the blanket down and proudly announced to her neighbor, I'm a little boy. Well, how do you know this? The little girl asked. The little boy confidently replied, blue booties. (laughs) It, uh, it, it's amazing in an age of equal rights and, and equality and the whole feminist movement it's still blue booties for boys and pink booties for girls so culturally we begin to they're raised differently they're treated differently there's expectations that are totally different little girls are given greater permission to express their feelings than little boys now let me little girl gets all kinds of sympathy and you cry and you hug and you do all that tender sweet stuff a little boy cries Oh, hush, big boys don't cry. So right away, very early, those boys are being taught not to express their emotions, but to hold that back, not to cry, but to be tough. Little girls, on the other hand, they are hugged and they are comforted. Boys are taught to be strong, to play hard. Boys are taught to be a winner at all costs. Adult males, as a result of this, have trouble admitting their weaknesses. We don't think we have any flaws or flaws or problems. It's hard for us to admit our weaknesses or our pain or our faults. In fact, he will even resist suggestions of managing some part of his personal or vocational life. In other words, men don't ask for directions. They wander around aimlessly looking for the street. They can find this. We can do this. We can find our way out of this mess and they further get lost. They see any acknowledgement as an attack on their adequacy as a man. And so I'm a man. I can fix it myself. 
I can do it myself. There's this kind of rugged individualism from the male species. The woman, on the other hand, she is socialized to be dependent and senses little or no threat in asking for help, asking for directions, asking for guidance, because that's the way she was socialized or culture taught her she could be. Now, here's the problem. You say, where where are we going with this? Let me tell you where we're going with this. When you get married, when male marries female, man hides his hurts and he hides his feeling and he hides any kind of level of pain. The woman, on the other hand, expresses her emotions and she cries. The husband is unable to comfort her because he don't know what's going on. Because she's not like me. And why is she crying? And I don't get it. Doesn't make sense. Okay? So he is uncomfortable with the display of emotions. So what you have is a husband and a wife, they are living in the same world, uh, looking at the same world, and yet they are seeing it in entirely different eyes or from entirely different points of view. Now, let's look at God's word. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. He, he begins to define the roles of male and female, and he talks about how they can blend and operate the very best, the maximum. If we're going to do it the right way, we need to do it God's way. And so God has some very clear directions on female and male roles in marriage. He says the man is to be the head. Now, men have interpreted this wrongly as the men feel like they need to control their wives. Because after uh, I'm the head and we beat our hairy chest and we walk in the door and we say, you're going to listen to me because I'm the head, right? What does it mean to be the head? Well, one thing it means, it means he's simply responsible to get things done. uh, But male and female are one in marriage. uh, Therefore, they make their decisions together. And when I preached on being one flesh, uh, male and female, the two become one. And so they make their decisions together. They work together. It is a cooperative joint effort. And yet the husband is ultimately the one who carries out and makes sure the decisions get done. Now, What is the man's responsibility in marriage? Ephesians 5 and 25, look at it. And and I'm going to just, I'm going to get real practical, so don't be poking each other throughout the rest of this service. You're going to leave with your ribs very sore today if you do that. Ephesians 5, look at uh, 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Jump down to verse 33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife. Now, he says this twice in this passage and he reiterates it through the entire passage. Listen, man, your number one responsibility is to love your wife. In fact, love her so much, love her as much as Christ loved the church. What kind of love that he has for the church? It was a self-giving love. It was a love that gave his life for his church. That's how much he is to love his wife. And, and And maybe this is emphasized to a point because in some ways we're not in touch with our feelings or or our emotions and those kinds of things because we're rugged, tough, hard men. And so he says over and over again, men love your wives. Says in 1 Peter 3, treat her with honor as the weaker vessel. In uh, verse 29, nourish and cherish her and those kinds of things. Love your wives. Now, 
how do you do that? I want to give you six practical ways you can show love. And, and if I could word it another way, these are things every woman wants out of a man. And men, if you can do these six things, listen, baby, you're, you're going to have it made. You, you have done everything you can to meet the needs of your wife, and you will be, she will be your biggest fan for life. Let me give you six things every woman wants from a man. And it all ties in with how we love our wives. Number one, they want kindness and understanding. Every woman wants kindness and understanding in that marriage. And you find it in verse 29. So no one ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does his church. Nourish and cherish. What does a wife want? She wants kindness and she wants understanding. Now listen, men, you're out there. You're surviving in a very competitive environment, a competitive world, uh, and you've had to learn how to be tough. You've had to learn how to get ahead. You've learned how to learn how to make it in life. But if you're going to succeed in marriage, God's word says you're going to learn how to be tender. We got the macho thing down. We don't have the tender thing down very well. And Paul says, men, learn how to be tender. Learn how to cherish and nourish your wife. Learn how to be kind and understanding. Learn to leave your frustrations at the office. You've had a rough day. Your employees aren't getting along. You're not getting along with them. Your boss is treating you rough and, and it's a mess at work. Don't bring all those frustrations home and dump it all on your wife. Don't come in yelling with that gruff voice. You may yell at your guys at work every day as a foreman. You don't come home and yell at your wife. Ladies, are, the men are just as quiet as they can be. Kindness and gentleness will go a long way in helping your wife discover how deeply you love her and care about her. Love your wife. Love your wife. If your wife is having a nuclear breakdown and they happen from time to time, men, she's not looking for answers. She's looking for someone to listen, someone to give her a shoulder to cry on, someone to reassure, someone to comfort her. You see, we're the fix-it men. We can fix anything. Well, not really, but we think we can. And so when our wives have a nuclear meltdown, we want to fix it. And we come out with our common sense logic that makes so much sense to us. And, and, she's, not, and she's not there. You want someone to hold her, someone to listen to her, someone to let her cry. Kindness and gentleness. They want to know that we care. Number two, women are looking for a man who is romantically affectionate. Women are looking for a man who is romantically affectionate. Now, men, before you break your arm patting yourself on the back, saying, boy, I got this one. <laughs> I'm good there, baby. Oh, yeah. I'm the best. Women don't usually associate romantic affection with sexual intercourse. We thought romantic. Man, that's where your brains went, right then. Oh, I got that one down. I'm good. That's not what I meant by romantic affection. Let me tell you what I meant. Romantic affection is opening the car door, 
opening doors in the buildings, giving her cards and gifts. And by the way, I'm still working on these things. So don't, I got I to preface all these things. Jeannie's kind of looking at me, what? Okay, where's it coming from? Birthdays, remember her birthday, her anniversary. Compliment her on her appearance. Compliment her on the house, on her cooking. Have special date nights out alone with her, just you and her. She likes embraces, caresses, kisses, affectionate touches with no secret agenda attached. You see, our caresses and our kisses and our romantic touches are all in preparation for what's to come after. That's not romantic affection. That's just so what we get out of it. Man, listen to me. Lunch at McDonald's should not be the height of your romantic potential. <laughs> Ladies, is this helping? Or are, we, are we helping here today? We want to be practical. Number three, every woman, and men, listen to me, want a spiritual leader in the family. Look at verse number 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for her. Listen, we, in our culture, sometimes men can be spiritually shy. They don't step up to the plate. They're awkward about praying and out loud. They're spiritually shy. And they're intimidated about reading the Bible or praying out loud or doing those kind of things. Because here's the real crux of it, man. Listen to me. You know that your wives know you're not a saint. Because they've seen you in all your worst. And they've seen you blow it many, many times. And so what happens is the devil comes along and he whispers in your ear, what are you nuts? Are you going to try to pray out loud in front of your wife after what you did last week? Are you going to read the Bible? You have the audacity to read the Bible when you're not living it out yourself. And so the enemy kind of attacks us with these accusations that comes from the accuser of the brethren and what do we do we back down we shrink back and we do nothing and we do nothing until we think we can get our whole act together i've got news for you guys you'll never get your whole act together that won't happen until christ comes back and so men withdraw and they become spiritually shy Diffuse that time bomb by acknowledging to each other, God is not finished with me yet. So we need to read the Bible. We need to pray. We need to keep working on it because God's, I'm a work in progress. God's still working on me. Learn how to encourage each other in the marriage when one of you falls short. Don't give in to the enemy's prompting. You're not good enough. Now, how, what are some ways we become spiritual leaders in our family? Let me just give you some very practical things. Number one, every man ought to have a devotional, have his devotional habits in order. You ought to have your own devotional life. It's an important part of your manhood. If you want to be the man that God wants you to be, then you've got to develop the spiritual disciplines in your quiet time, in your devotional life. Your wife will respect you when she sees you reading the Bible, when she sees you in prayer. She will look at you as a man of God because you take time out for God each day in your schedule. 
Even if you got to say, honey, I'm going to my room, I'm going to my closet, I'm heading out here, I'll be on the back porch, wherever you find your place to read your Bible and pray. But every, every, every man ought to have time when he reads his word every day and he prays. Listen, there's some great one-year Bibles. You can read three chapters a day and five on Sunday. You can just take a year. And last year, I just took a year and just did the, only the New Testament. Stay right in there. But uh, now I'm back to my one-year Bible reading plan. But however God leads you to do it, you just do it every day. Number two, lead your wife in devotions and in saying grace at mealtime. Praying together establishes spiritual authority. Where two agree, agree together. In mind. Remember that first Sunday I said the main purpose of your marriage is so you can have spiritual authority or spiritual dominion as a couple? Listen, praying together, where two or three agree together on earth, is touching anything, it shall be done in heaven. Praying together establishes spiritual authority in your household. Good stuff. Number three, take your family to church, participate in worship, and in ministry together. Bring your family to church, and then when you get to church, don't sit there like a bump on the log. Just get involved and say, God, I'm here to praise you. I don't care if you can sing or not. Try it. Listen, come in to praise the Lord and glorify God. Be that example of worship and praise to your family. And, 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 and find a ministry where you can work as a ministry team and get involved in one of the many, many ministries here at Faith Assembly of God. And uh, special holidays, set up your traditions as a family. At Easter time, read the Easter story, pray together, talk about his resurrection. At Christmas time, don't just tear into the gifts, read the Christmas story and talk about what all that means. Thanksgiving time, take some time and give thanks around the table. And of course, we have some opportunities here at the church for Thanksgiving Eve communion and Christmas Eve communion. And so be a part of all those kind of meaningful rituals for your family. And then I guess probably the number one thing, men, listen to me. Be consistent in your words and in your deeds. Listen, don't read the Bible one moment and jump all over the next. Let your life match up. Let your actions match up with what you profess to be in, the, in, in Christ Jesus. If they see duplicity in your life, if they see double-mindedness in your life, a double-minded man is unstable and is on his way. If you look real good on Sunday, uh, but you are a rat the rest of the week, listen, that is not a way to establish spiritual authority in your house. This is good. This is good. Number four, what does every woman want? Treat her as an equal. Wow, there's a novel idea. Treat her as an equal. Now, where do you get that? Well, look at verse 28. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. We are equal here. I love my body. I love you. Love your wife as much as you love yourself, more so. He who loves his wife loves himself. So what's he saying there? Treat her as an equal, not as your servant, not as your subordinate. You've misunderstood what headship is all about. It is a role for decision-making. It is a role for carrying out the will and purposes of the family and the home. But you're equal. 
One's not better than the other. You're on the same team as your own body. She is not your servant. Listen, give me me a few more scriptures. Galatians 3 and 28. Neither is there male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 3 and 8. Consider your life that you are heirs together of the grace of life. Heirs together of the grace of life. Neither male nor female. You are all equal. One's not more important than the other. One's not better than the other. Number five, be a good father to your children. What are wives looking for? They want the man to be a good, good father. You know, sometimes women feel abandoned when it comes to the parenthood thing. And the men kind of just do their own thing and they go to work and they come in and they grunt a while and then they do their things on the weekend and they're out fishing or on the golf course and pretty much that wife's all by herself and when the kids are small, she's raising them all alone and, and she can get resentful after a while. Listen, they're your kids. In fact, Paul, and I read it last week, I'll just read it real quickly again. Paul puts the responsibility squarely on the fathers. Ephesians 6 and 4. And you fathers... Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You fathers, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. What are wives looking for? Good fathers for your children. Number six, good provider. Good provider. Even though many women have to work outside the home, women still want to feel economically secure with her husband. The man is to be a good provider, a good breadwinner for the family. In fact, in most cases, families are better off spiritually and emotionally if they will learn to depend upon the husband's income for basic expenses. What do you mean by that? I mean, if the wife does have to work on a limited basis or in order to add to the income of the family, that income should be for more discretionary things, uh, then she will be less likely to resent having to work to get the bill collectors off my back. Man, that's your job. Wow, this thing is just, I can just, it's falling right off the end and see if anybody's down there. Women want a man, women want a husband who will be good economic provider. Not lazy, not sitting at home, not earning the bacon. Clear? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, man, you'll get your chance in a minute. I know I'm tough on you, but we're going to move to the ladies, so there is hope. 1 Peter 3 and 7. And, and I'm, I'm just kind of closing this section out with this verse right here. This is, this is key. Husbands likewise dwell with them, talking about their wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, what is he saying? Peter says, you know what? Learn all you can about your women to know how to please them, to know how to love them. Now, I gave you six things, guys. You haven't studied and learned this yourself. You've got six very practical things that every woman wants. Go back and look at that checklist and say, how am I doing? 
Am I kind? Am I tender? Am I a spiritual leader of my home? Am I earning the money? How am I doing in my fatherhood? And I don't know what all the other things off the top of my head, but whatever they are, listen, you just go through that list and say, how am I doing? Let that become a checklist because this is what every woman wants. These are universal principles. So you can start right there. And then you'll begin to find out those little things that your particular wife really likes. Learn to dwell with them according to knowledge. Learn all you can about your wife so you can be the absolute best husband and lover possible. Isn't that good? All right, all right, good, good. Now, number two, what do men need? Men's basic need is respect. While the man is commanded to love the wife, the wife, on the other hand, is never told to love her husband. Kind of nice if that happens, but that's, that's not commanded in God's word. The word of God says, ladies, respect your man. Respect your husband. Let me give you Bible on this. Verse 22, Ephesians 5 and 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. There's the concept. Verse 24, uh, Let's keep going. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as Christ is subject to the husband, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Verse 33, nevertheless, let each of you in particular love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects, honors, submits to her husband. Wives, respect your husbands. Now, 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 Solomon. Solomon had a lot of wives. I don't know how he did it. I think he's nuts. I think it was crazy. I think even though he's brilliant and a genius, I think this is where he went off the deep end. How could, man, I, handling one is all any man can even begin to handle. And how he could handle 300 and some wives is, is nuts. But he did know a lot about women. You have that many wives, women around, you're going to learn something about women. And he writes this, a contentious woman is like the dripping of rain on a tin roof. Drip, 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 drip. On and on and on and on and on they drone away. What Solomon said. And women, listen to me, when you're trying to remake your man, and you're trying to restructure your man and mold him into your image. You have a difficult time respecting him while you're at the same time trying to remake him. You will have a difficult time respecting him if at the same time you're intent on changing him. You will become like that dripping on a tin roof. If he's not like you want him, changing him, you'll have a difficult time respecting him. Now, you say, man, how, how does any change come about? I've got a loser here. What do we do? <laughs> Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 again. What do I do? Help me, pastor. I've got some words. Peter tells you how to do it. 
Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, respect your husbands, etc., etc. And even if they do not obey the word, they without a word, underline those three words, without a word. Everyone, ladies, say that together. Without a word. Wow, it was weak. Without a word. There you go. May be won by the conduct of their wives. You got a choice to be a drippy faucet. Or you can win them and change them by your conduct and by your respect. Wow. You begin to respect that man, even though he may not be all you want him to be. He may not be all that you could be or can be. You begin to respect him. He begins to step into that role. But you can do it without saying a word. Verse number two. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Women. You know, the, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, or maybe 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, I think it is, that the, that the woman, maybe it's 2 Corinthians, is to be the glory of the man. The woman is to be the glory of the man. In other words, what does that mean, you're to be the glory of the man? It means you're to respect positively on your man. And if you're running them down, if you're talking about them, if you're telling everybody else how all his mistakes and all his flaws and all his problems and what kind of man do I got, you are not being the glory to your man. Rather, you are running them down. What does every man need? He needs to be respected. And if you respect your husband, there is nothing that he will not do to cherish you. Top six ways. I got a list of six as well to show respect. What does every man want? What does every man want? Let's reverse the roles. Number one, every man wants a good recreational companion. Oh, my. Now, let me tell you how to do that. You don't have to go out and play football with him every week. What do I mean by that? Find out what he enjoys doing. So you can do it with him or at least observe him doing it. Find out about his favorite sports teams. You like sports? Talk sports. Learn the difference between a field goal, a touchdown, and a home run. That'll help. (laughs) Basic sports 101. Learn a few simple concepts. If he's into that, if he's not into that, you don't even have to go there. But if that's what he's into... It'll help you to communicate. It'll help you to share as a part of his life. Fish with him, golf with him, dive with him without complaining. Of course, men ought to do the same thing. And from time to time, do what the wives enjoy doing. I guess what I'm saying is, Keep the fun in the marriage. Keep the fun in the marriage. It is not only the family that prays together stays together, but I believe the family that plays together stays together. And so find those common things that you can enjoy doing together and try as much as you can, if you respect them, to enter into their little world. Right? Number two. Every man wants an exciting sex partner. Write that down. Yes, I said it out loud in church. I know. I, I, because God created it. Come on, guys. I, I didn't invent this stuff up. God created it. 
made male and female and said, it's very good. I have got a wonderful design for their marriage, for their oneness, for their expression of oneness. God made it. So we need to talk about it. Now let me give you some basic primer on it real quick. No, it's serious. Listen to me. Men and women are wired differently. You are wired by God differently. Husbands generally have more frequent sexual urges than their wives because males produce a higher level of testosterone. I can't even say it. It is that's the that's that's the physics of it. That's the biology of it. Then women, men reach their peak. At ages 18 to 25 years of age, women will reach their peak about 30 in their 30s. And yet, throughout their entire lifetime, they will never reach the same desire of intimacy or same level of desire. Because the ovaries produce much lower levels of testosterone than the male testes. Now, that's the, word, that's, that's, the, that's the physiology of it. That's how we're different. That's how God made us different. This difference really comes to light in that first adjustment period I talked about. You figure it out pretty quick. But, but it comes to light in that first adjustment period, that first port of call I talked about last week. Now, young women who get married and don't understand this, they're in for a little bit of a shock in the marriage. And so this may be how her prayer might go. God, I thank you for this good Christian husband. But why did you let me marry the only sex maniac in the church? Please, God, won't you heal this one-track mind? The woman's praying, the husband's praying in the other room, and his prayer goes like this. God, I thank you for the good Christian wife. Of all the women in the church, why did you let me marry the only iceberg? In reality, listen to me, in reality, a normal, healthy young man has just married a normal, healthy young woman. That's the difference in design. That's the difference in which we were created and made by God. You are just experiencing those typical differences in a male and female's need for sexual expression. The way God made us. Now, let me share a letter with you. This is funny. Frustrated husband wrote the following letter to his wife. During the last year, I have attempted to make love 365 times. (laughs) Only succeeding 36 times. That's an average of one time every 10 days. Of those times that were unsuccessful, these were the following reasons you gave. 23 times it was too late. 27 times we might awaken the children. 15 times it was too early. 16 times you were too hot. Five times you were too cold. 46 times you pretended to be asleep. Nine times the windows were open and we might awaken the neighbors. 26 times you had a backache. 18 times you had a headache. 13 times you had a toothache. Six times you had the giggles. 36 times you were not in the mood. 10 times you were too full. 17 times the baby was crying. 17 times you were watching the late show. Five times I watched the late show. 11 times you had a mud pack on your face. 11 times there was company in the next room, and 19 times you had to go to the bathroom. That is a total of 
329 times. During the 36 times I succeeded, I, during, during the 36 times I, I did succeed, the activity was not entirely satisfactory for the following reasons. Six times you were chewing gum. <laughs> Seven times you watched TV the whole time. 16, 16 times you said, hurry up and get it over with. Six times I tried to wake you to tell you I was through. <laughs> and one time I was afraid I hurt you because I felt you move. Honey, it's no wonder I drink too much. Your loving husband. <laughs> now, unless you think I've totally gone off the deep end, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse number 5, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse number 3. Now, I warned you at the beginning of this series, if you have small children, you might want them in the nursery back there or the... Uh, our child care. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 3. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. What is he talking about? Marital intimacy. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Women, you are not fasting 365 days a year. Enough said. Number three, every man is looking for a good mother for his children. A good mother for his children. Until the children are at least three years of age, I believe they need to be in the care of their parents. Even if you have to lower the family's standard of living for a time to care for your own infants and your own toddlers, consider it an investment in the future of your children. No form of commercial infant care can adequately substitute for your own personal loving care. Number four, every man is looking for a reasonably good housekeeper. Man enjoys a neat, orderly home. Now, of course, if the wife is working outside the home to help him pay for that home, then he ought to work inside the home to help her care for that home. So there is a clause there. Number five, every man is looking for a reasonably good cook. The way to a man's heart is still most often through his stomach. A wise woman never, unger, uh, never argues with a hungry man. She feeds him first. And if she feeds him well, then many times the argument will not occur at all. On a side note, listen to me. If you're going out to eat and you say to your wife, where do you want to go out to eat? And she says, I don't care. You decide. Don't believe her. <laughs> Just throw that out. Just disregard that. Does not mean a thing. 
Don't believe her. You believe that? I've got swampland in Florida to sell you. Just don't believe her. Number six. Every man, listen to me, ladies, wants a wife who will respect the family budget. Wants a wife who will respect the family budget. Wants a wife who will restrict her spending and not abuse their credit. Few things impose more tension or stress in marriage than overextended credit. I don't have time to go into it today to deal with the whole issue of finances and marriage. Um, We may get to it down the road because it can be a real source of problem in marriages. Agree on preset spending limits and establish a a budget. Establish a budget. Let me give you a quick primer on your budget. Number one, tie the first 10%. That's what God says. Number two, I would encourage you to take the second 10% and save that. Let it build interest. Let interest work for you, either for college fund for your kids or even later down the road for retirement. And learn to live on 80% of your income. And that will be a rule for financial success in your family. Now, this morning, we've time's gone, and I'm going to bring it to a close. This morning, we've kind of looked at the major differences between male and female. And as I said at the beginning, women are just plain weird, and men, you are just plain strange. We're different. And as you discover these differences what happens is you will become an expert in meeting the needs of your spouse. And man, you'll learn how to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. You'll know how to show your love to her and express that love to her. And ladies, as you learn about your husband, you'll learn how to show him respect and be a glory to him and an uplifter of him. And all that will begin to happen. The man's basic need is for respect. The woman's basic need, according to Ephesians chapter 5, is for love. Okay? And the more you seek to meet those needs, the more it will build cohesion in that marriage uh, that will keep that marriage strong and keep that marriage together when everybody else's marriage is falling apart. Now you ask the question, who goes first? Right? That's that. This just jumped in your mind. Who goes first? In showing these kind of things. do Men, do I love first? Or ladies, do I respect first? Who's the first one to take the initiative? Who goes first? The answer is, you do. You do. No matter what they do, listen to me, no matter what they do, men, love your wives. Ladies, respect your husbands. Men, Love your wives. Ladies, respect your husbands. You've got the key ingredients right there that'll make that thing last. Amen? Stand with me if you would right now. Everyone standing. Man, we're going to just start taking some spiritual authority right now, not taking it. God's already given us that. We're just not walking in that. And so... What I want you to do, and I, this is going to be a little, it's always a little awkward because we've got a lot of singles here. I'm going to get to my single parents and, and single people in, a, in, in time. And, and some of you are not here without your spouse, and that makes it also hard. And so we are not doing this to make anyone feel awkward or out of place. We will minister on those subjects down the road. So please hang with me.
But I do want you to do something this morning. Men, I want you to turn right now, take your wife by the hand, and I want you to, in this service, if you can't do it here, you'll never do it at home. So we got to get over our spiritual shyness. Spiritual shyness has got to go out the window. If we want God to keep our family together, we've got to base it on God's word and do what God's word tells us to say. So what I want you to do is take your wife by the hand and pray for her out loud that God will bless her, God will help her, God will use her. Pray that God will help you know how to show her love and care for her. And we're going to end the service that way. This podcast has been a presentation of Faith Assembly where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Thank you for listening this week.